Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope, with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will conclude his message entitled, Chosen and Adopted. We're still in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And now, with part 2, here's Pastor Ralph. Well, let's go on a little further. And he says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Now, why does it say spiritual blessing? Well, I think because you tap into the material blessing via the spiritual blessing. That when you come into relationship with the Lord, you come into prayer, you come into praise, you come into claiming the promises of God, something happens to you in the spirit realm. And we are spiritual beings. The Bible says we will live forever in heaven or hell. Our bodies are going to be cast off, but we as spirit beings will live forever. And and so God in, in a spiritual realm does something in your life and then it has implications for the physical realm. God changes me. Suddenly I have faith that I didn't have before and things happen and, and you know, God touches people and there's healings. God's grace and God's power are made available to us in the spiritual realm and then they work their way out in the physical realm. Does that make sense? It goes on and talks about in the heavenly realms and, and the word realm could be like domain or, or realm gives us this idea of it's not just what you can see or touch or feel, but that something else occupies the same geographical space that you occupy. Now, now you start hearing about God working in the heavenly realms and the cosmologists, Stephen Hawking particularly, who's not a Christian, will always come back and draw parallels to the Bible because it's the only thing that they can use to gather metaphors. They want to say, well, it works like this, and then they'll come back and say, well, it works like what the Bible describes when it talks about God being in heavenly realms, that God may be physically present and angels and demons physically present where you are. You just can't see them, and they're operating. And, and, and so they go back to the Bible for metaphors to describe science. Interesting, huh? But the Bible is trying to communicate that kind of stuff to us. That we live in a spiritual universe and the spirit world trumps the material world and God blesses us in heavenly places and it results in material blessings and answers to prayer and things happening and it says all this because we belong to Christ. Is this good? Well, I've taken a little too much time so i got to go fast. Loved and chosen before creation. You were loved and chosen before creation According to the scriptures, it says long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, before the world began, God knew your name. Before the world began, God singled you out. In Romans chapter 8, 29, it says that whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. What does it mean to foreknow? Well, it means that God can look at the future the way that we can look at history. Now, this is another place where Stephen Hawking and company come into play. And, and there's a number of these guys 
And they basically are driving science today. These are, these are the minds that are steering where we're going. These are the minds that helped put man on the moon. And they're saying things like there is no such thing as time. There's this whole idea of space-time continuum only has to do with you seeing things from where you are and time is something that we have made up. In other words, everything is eternal happening all at once. Now, that one really spins you out of control. But when you read the argument, it makes sense. Now, it says here that before the world was created, God knew you. In other words, before the world was created, God knows you uh, and, and he knows you intimately. And it says that he, he chose us because he loved us. Now, anybody that's a Christian will tell you that they didn't come to the Lord on their own. They came to the Lord because the Spirit drew them. And they'll tell you how. They'll tell you the, the, the odd things that happened along the way to their becoming a Christian. And it's very much like the word adoption that we're going to look at in a minute. That a, that a prospective adoptive parent comes into an orphanage, looks around and chooses a child and says, I'm interested in that child. Now then the child comes and, and has to interface with that adult and says, yes or no. And so we'll say things like, I found the Lord. Yeah, after he found me. I became a Christian. Yeah, after he chose me. I, I accepted the Lord after he accepted me. God, God initiated the deal. And the Bible says that before the world was begun, he knew you. He knew your name and he had a plan for you. And, and he chose to, to love you and to make you his own. The word holy, it says here that he calls us holy and without fault in his eyes. We talked about holy last week, but I want to go over it again. The word holy simply has to do with ownership. It means, what does it mean? Can you remember it? Set apart for. That's just a definition of the Greek term hagios that comes to us as holy. It also translates the same word hagios as saint. And we go, you know, Saint Ralph, and everybody laughs, right? But it, it doesn't mean super righteous or super religious. It simply means somebody who is owned by somebody. My cell phone is holy to me because it's set apart for me. This microphone is holy to me. It's set apart for me. You are holy to God because God chose you and said, that's mine. Okay, I want you to say it again. We did this last week. Everybody say, I am holy. I am holy. Say it. Some of you aren't saying it. Say it. I am holy. Kind of hard to say, huh? Say, God owns me. God owns me. See, it's the same. I am holy. God owns me. But it says, without fault in his eyes. Now, now say that. I am without fault. <laughs> Now, that's a little bit harder to deal with. I'm without fault in his eyes. Well, let me tell you in, a, in two ways that, that I can describe this, that you're without fault in his eyes. When my son was born, I didn't want to have a child. I remember uh, uh, the way it worked was this. I was busy. I got a life to live. I got all these things I'm going to do. I'm going to serve God, da, 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 da. And I didn't want to have a baby. 
and my wife wanted to desperately. And so I talked her into waiting five years and five years went by real fast. And all of a sudden we're pregnant. And one day I find myself driving on the Golden State Freeway in Los Angeles to a hospital in Glendale, California. We lived way out in the San Fernando Valley on the edge of it. And I bumped into a guy I hadn't seen for five years. And uh, he was, we were caught in traffic and I roll my window down, he rolls his window down. I go, he goes, hey, what are you doing? I go, I'm on my way to the hospital, we're having a kid. And he goes, give my regards to the milkman. I hadn't seen him for five years, and that's the last time I ever saw him. And that's my memory of this guy named John Ed Chambers. Uh, but we, I took her to the hospital. I left her there and went out and ran errands while she had a baby. Now, give me this much of a break. This was in the day when you didn't get to go in the room with your wife while she had the kid. So I was sitting around waiting, and I just ran errands. I come back, the baby's born. I look on a little video screen. They hold this little lump, and I don't think much of it. I go upstairs. They let me in the room. I lay eyes on the kid, and immediately I fell in love. And on the way home from the hospital, the brand-new sports car is, is, is already up for sale. She's not going back to work. Uh, we're going to do everything we can for this kid. And, and, I, and I just am in love. The next day, uh, the 1971 San Fernando earthquake hit. We were in terrible jeopardy. Someday I'll tell you the story. It's incredible what happened. But we, couldn't, we got evacuated from our apartment. It was, in, it was where this dam was going to burst and all that. And so when the baby came home from the hospital, we go to a friend's house in Los Angeles. And I remember just holding this little kid for hours and, and, and looking at him and and then I'd, I'd fuss with him. I'd try to get him upset. I'd, 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 just, I'd, I'd just do this on his lip just, just to get him to cry. I just, I just wanted him to communicate with me. I couldn't wait to communicate with him. And I, I, and I, I made a pact with myself. And I, and I think it's a good thing to do these things. I decided that I will spend a day, an hour a day with my child or my children as more of them come into my life. An hour a day playing with them. And I'm going to push my schedule any way I have to push it to make that happen. Now, when you make those kind of little decisions, you probably actually do it about five days out of seven. But I, I got there. And I, I can recall that when he, was, when he was about six months old, I would, I would hold him in front of a mirror. We had a, like one of these floor-length mirrors, and I'd, I'd, I'd sit there, and, and I'd hold him in my lap, and... And I wanted him to be aware of himself. He was already aware of us as his parents. He, he, you know, very quickly they distinguish who's mom and dad, and they don't like anybody else. But I, I go through this process, and and so I would, I would, I would sit in front of the mirror. I put my face next to his, and I'd touch my nose, and I'd reach around, and touch his nose, and I touch my nose, touch his nose, and then I take his little finger, and I touch my nose, and I touch his nose. And pretty soon you could see the smile coming. He figured out that was him in the mirror. And there was this whole thing that went on. Now, that child was without fault in my eyes. But he still pooped his diapers. <laughs> and all the way through growing up, even now in adulthood, my children are without fault in my eyes. 
But also all the way through, I saw the faults. And I worked hard to discipline those faults out of them and help them to be everything they could be. And I believe that's the way you are with God. You're without fault in his eyes. At the same time, he sees the faults and he'll discipline you and he'll shape you and he'll lead you and he'll make you into what you have to be. Last week was the NFL draft. And I, there's, there's got to be half the coaches in the National Football League are sitting around going, what is wrong with that screwy owner of mine? Why did he draft this person? The other half are sitting around going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got this talent in my hands. Somebody is looking at a quarterback that they think can win a Super Bowl. And they realize that that quarterback, as soon as he gets on the field in the NFL, and he finds out how different NFL linemen are from college linemen, uh, that that person is going to wet his pants on the football field. <laughs> and that that coach's job is to get this person to not run, to not throw interceptions, to get rid of the ball so he doesn't get hurt, but to stand there, to stay in the pocket, to watch the field, to look for the opportunity, and then to throw the strike that's going to that's gonna score the touchdown. And he's thinking, this kid is without fault. This kid has got immense talent. He's also thinking, this kid, I've watched enough game film of him, has got these problems and I'm going to have to iron these wrinkles out of his life. God chose us. He loved us. And he sees us without fault at the same time that he sees our faults. Does that make sense to you? Now, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to arm you when Satan comes to you with his lies. When he comes to you and says, buddy, did you ever blow it? You are a loser and God must hate you. Or to the person who's sitting in church this morning thinking if these people knew what, I, what I'm all about, what I, what's going on inside of me, or what I was doing yesterday afternoon at 3.30, they would hate me. They would never let me in this building. God knows. God was there, God chose you, and God loves you, and he's willing to work out whatever he has to work out for you to become what he wants you to be. Am I making sense? Now, we have a choice. The more we cooperate, the faster it goes. The less we cooperate, the slower it goes. You know, it's like that thing about dumping the ice cubes into the water. You can do it faster or you can do it slower, but God's not going to ever let go of his love for you. Goes on and talks about a long range plan of adoption. It says his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This gave him great pleasure. When it says that his unchanging plan has been to adopt us by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, I want you to have this picture. A parent with a birth child goes to an orphanage, turns his child loose in the orphanage and begins to watch the child interface with other kids. And the, and the kids that most fit with his child, that parent then says, I want to adopt those children so that they come home and inherit everything that becomes mine. Because of Jesus Christ and our embracing of him, God has chosen then to adopt us and he makes us his own 
and, and everything that belongs to him belongs to us, and it gives him pleasure to be our adoptive father. Does that make sense? The Bible says that God is love. Well, people who are loving people get pleasure in, 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 in fawning over other people, in dousing other people with their love, in doing wonderful things for other people, and they don't quit loving them. I have a friend who adopted two sons, one when he was very small and one when he was a preteen. And one of the sons has turned out to be, uh, he has potential as a, as a professional hockey player. And he also has uh, a huge potential academically. He's a straight A student, has been for years. The other son has equal potential as a hockey player. And when these boys were playing even junior league hockey all the way on up through high school, the newspapers were writing articles about the, 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 these two brothers, the Flaherty brothers, and how they, the, the potential was there for them to be playing professional hockey as, as brothers and to go all the way. And then the irony of it is that they were adopted brothers. But the other brother didn't perform well in school. The other brother began to struggle against his adoptive mother. The other brother has a problem that he just cannot believe that anybody can love him. And Satan has so gotten a hold of him that he's so confused and he can be so violent in his outbursts that he's now living in a mental institution. And they, they're capable of mixing his drugs well enough to get him under control and get him out of there, although I think it's a spiritual problem. But he's very comfortable living there and doesn't want to leave. Now, I spent some time with the father recently. And the father is concerned about his one son, about which university he goes to, and the path that he's going to go down because of going to that university but I'm here to tell you he's equally concerned about the other son who's living a broken life. And perhaps, judging from the conversation, he's more concerned about the broken son than he is about the son who's whole and healthy and going places. But for sure, it's at least equal concern. And what I want you to understand is if God adopts you, he doesn't unadopt you because you don't perform well. He loves you and he continues to have interests and he continues to work with you. You may be a project. <laughs> you may need a lot of restoration. But God's there for you and he will be there for you. And now, again, come back to where we started Spiritual warfare, the lies that Satan whispers. If we can get down some of this, I am chosen, I am owned, I am adopted. God loves me, even likes me. And you start to get that down, and it begins to influence your worldview to the place that where other stuff comes and it wants to derail you and get you off track, you, you, you come to the place, no. You know, I failed yesterday, but God still owns me. I let him down grossly, but he still loves me. He's still chosen me. He still has called me by his name. I'm adopted. I'm not going to be unadopted because I, if I start to get that down, 
Now, as we start to move, as we go through the book of Ephesians, and we start dealing with the power that's there, the Holy Spirit and what he's able to do, we put ourselves in much greater position to embrace the things that God is offering to us and go from there. Is this good? We'll skip the last verse and go home. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the, the truth of Scripture. Uh, Lord, it certainly uh, is our experience that what we read in the Bible and when we act on it, it works out in our life the way that you describe it in Scripture. So it's easy for us to step out in faith and say, some of this doesn't seem quite real because I'm me and I know what's inside of my skin and inside of my mind. And, and yet I've seen God work enough that I'm willing to take him at his word. And so I, I can embrace and, and say things like, I am holy. I am chosen. I do belong to God. I am without fault in God's eyes. And yet he sees my faults and is willing to correct them. I am loved. I am here for the long haul. And God, as, as, as we piece that into our worldview, uh, help it become part of our shield of faith that we hold up against the enemy. When he comes to depress us, when he comes to cause us fear, when he comes to tempt us, when he comes to do whatever he wants to do to, do, to hurt and kill and steal and destroy from us. Lord, strengthen us in our walk with you. Lord, purify the water in our life. Keep dumping ice cubes in and let us be all that we can be. In Jesus' name. Now keep your eyes closed for a couple of moments longer. We're going to pray another prayer. And it's just a prayer that says, I, I want God to adopt me. It's as though you're in the orphanage. And someone's come and said, would you come and live at our house? I want God to adopt me. I'm saying yes. And if that's you and you need to pray such a prayer to say, Lord, come into my life, then I want to lead you in prayer. And what I, when I say that, I mean this. I'll pray out loud. You pray, but you pray silently. And God will hear your heart. He'll hear your thoughts. And he'll respond to that prayer. And uh, we're going to pray in about one minute. But between now and then, if you choose to pray with me, I want you to tell me that we're praying together. And the way that I want you to do that is simply just to look at me. That's our signal. If you want to invite the Lord in your life, I want you just to look up at me right now. And then we'll pray about 40 seconds from now and we'll go for it. I see you, sir. Who else? You want to invite the Lord into your life? The guy back here? Good. And you, ma'am? Good. And another lady over here raising her hand? Good. Another lady in the back? And you, sir? Good. Anyone else? If, if I didn't see you, wave at me. Okay, I see you. Let's pray. Pray silently, but pray this. Dear God, I realize that you chose me, that you've called me to yourself, that you want me in your family. It's, you want to adopt me. And I'm here to say I want to be adopted. I want to become one of yours. I want your name on me. Lord, I, I, I want your ownership of my life. And Lord, it's a broken life. I'm coming to you with a life that needs repair and restoration. And, 
And I believe that you can and will do that and that you want to do that. And that's what your love is all about. And so, Lord, I surrender my life to you. It's like, I, it's like I'm, I'm coming to your house and I'm carrying two suitcases. And one is, is, is just filled with broken stuff, needs repair, hurts, anxieties, bitterness, revenge, addictions, habits. Lord, take that suitcase. Take all that's in it and deal with it. Lord, I got another suitcase and it's filled with hopes and dreams and aspirations and, and little hints about what my life could turn out to be. And, and Lord, I want to hand you that too and say, what can you do with this? How can you make this work? How can you make this fit? God, I, I, I give you my future and I, I entrust myself to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 